Howdy, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we saw since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. We got no time. No No time. time. Um, how many movies? You got one movie? I have one movie and right. three TV shows. All right, let's we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way to split this up. Let's start with movies. I, I saw a movie that um, I don't think you should see. Okay, me um, personally or everybody? You. Okay. You personally, Tyler, and I don't think you were planning on seeing it, except for I know there's a part of you that actively seeks out things you know are going to piss you off. And yeah. I've, I've told you, I've, I've tried to oh. convince you to not be that person. Yeah. But I saw, I was very excited to see, made a date night out of it with my wife, went and saw Michael Moore's new film, Where to Invade Next. Ugh. Um, and I've heard it's, it's actually better than his stuff lately. Here's the thing. I think at this point, I've developed the Michael Moore grain of salt enough. Uh, I mean, it is, if I think about it, it is still very upsetting to me, like how, especially once you are familiar as uh, once you're familiar with the ways in which Michael Moore tends to be disingenuous, right? They're so easy to spot in the movie. You know, it's so easy to say you're leaving something out there or this like infographic you've made is, uh, missing some information. And it's like, it's so easy to say. So, but, uh, and that is frustrating, but I've also, like I said, I developed the grain of salt enough that I can just watch the movie on its own terms. And I actually think, in terms of that, in terms of making him having a central thesis and tying a, what's like the, do you know the premise of the movie? I don't actually. So the premise I have to is, assume it has to do with foreign policy. Uh, actually, no. No? Okay. The premise is that he is, uh, quote unquote, invading countries okay. to find things that they're doing in their country that are working that aren't working in America, and he's going to claim claim these ideas i see for america so he just it, so it seems kind of a disparate like scattershot um uh, approach you know because it's a very uh, episodic type of thing mm-hmm. but he really does hang it together on uh, by the end on a on an interesting idea um so he looks at um school lunches in france he looks mm-hmm. at schools themselves the education system itself in finland which are among the highest testing um in in the world he looks at uh you know this is a personal cause uh of mine he looks at the prison system in norway Mm. which looks a lot more like i would think a good prison system uh would work um he looks at um the uh both in i he looks at iceland in terms of um in both both their government and business um there's a much more equal gender representation there Mm. and he looks at sort of why that is and what sort of effect it's had he also looks at the fact that iceland uh unlike the u.s um actually prosecuted a lot of bankers after the the 2008 um collapse um he looks at all these different things and eventually comes to this idea that i don't know if i agree with this word for word but it is (coughs) it is a coherent idea that he makes a movie about that makes it hang together like a movie like like his movies haven't since Roger and me I think okay um did you see sicko maybe sicko yeah sicko okay. not bad um I didn't see capitalism a love story no that one like no everything one about that sounded <laughs> yeah. really I feel like uh, everyone college freshman yeah I feel like yeah. everyone thinks his last movie is sicko yeah like we all forgot he made this one in 2009 that no one saw maybe everyone just <laughs> wanted to yeah um but the idea that he's making is that that he's getting across and where to invade next is that America itself has forsaken all the tenets of the American dream. We haven't forsaken paying lip service to it, but we've forsaken it and other countries have come and sort of picked at the corpse of our American dream and put together programs that make in many ways, the American dream as we used to understand it more achievable in other countries. Um, Okay, that's you know I don't I don't I don't actually I think that's a little um, a bit of an overstatement, but I do yeah. think there are some things that we've done in terms of narrowing the definition of the American dream because sure. uh, America tends to identify with itself through this rugged individualist lens that mm-hmm. I think um, closes us off to a lot of other possibilities that we could be doing um, with our um, human and financial resources, uh, not human resources, you know what I mean. Um, but uh it's it is it's the most optimistic movie he's ever made interesting 
he comes across like especially at the end he's very very optimistic uh, optimistic because he's that's talking. good i like that he's uh, as he gets older yeah he's getting more optimistic as yeah. opposed to some people goes the other way well his his thing and i've heard other people say this but his thing is that like um the uses gay marriage as, as an example of something that like we fought fought for so long for mm. and then it was this huge battle that seemed to be going on forever and then suddenly one day it was changed mm-hmm. and he was so he's saying like basically his premise is that the if you keep fighting for it the change that you're looking for might be about to happen at any moment mm-hmm. uh, and it, i find that that very optimistic um he's also again i didn't see capitalism a love story but i think a um especially in his uh the, the only pl- part where he really looks at how businesses work like, there's the iceland thing but that's about um gender equality when he looks at italy this is where the movie starts um so uh I- italians have between vacation time and national holidays about eight weeks a year of mm-hmm. paid time off and that doesn't include five months of maternity leave and um 15 days of honeymoon paid honeymoon leave that you get when you get married apparently um and uh he like he doesn't just say these workers are happy he makes the point that um italy is still one of the most productive nations in the country and that a happy workforce and that people who have all this time off they actually take far fewer sick days than we do um that he's he's looking at the ways that i guess liberal ideals can actually be um implemented within a capitalist structure and can make things better for everybody for the workers and the industrialists or whatever um and also in germany um there's a uh, a law that the um board of directors of every country every company has to have a certain percentage of representatives from the workforce who like hmm. make you know, the 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 workers actually help make the decisions they go to conferences and represent the country or the company and stuff like that um so i i i like that there's i think there's i think like cause i feel like i'm talking to you someone i know disagrees with michael moore i feel like Yes, if you go in looking to be pissed off, you will find no shortage sure. of <laughs> of reasons to be pissed off. But um, if you go in as a film person looking at, did he make a, I don't even know, and there's always a debate as to whether or not Michael Moore movies count as documentaries, but did right. he make a film that hangs together yeah. as a whole? More of a personal it, statement. That's one yeah, of the big yes. grains of salt that I take when I look at his movies. Yeah, and I think he did a really good job. And also, I think we, as much as we get annoyed with him, I think we forget that he has been throughout his movies he's still pretty consistently funny there's always funny stuff in all of his movies i think i, think I stopped i stopped finding him funny when he started using comedy as a shield um he would make arguments when anytime somebody would talk about inconsistency in his film he would then say well wait a second how can there be inconsistency in comedy i'm making a comedy and it's like oh okay we'll just treat it as comedy well hang on a minute it's a documentary <laughs> this is real stuff he wanted to have it both ways and, it, okay. and once that happens like i i even if I find it funny, I refuse to laugh because fuck you. You're going to use my <laughs> laugh to okay. legitimize See, this, is, this other thing. What I'm talking about is taking something. This is something external to the movie. Sure. What you're talking about. I, I think uh, I, this is just a personal philosophy. I'm not saying anything. Anyone's wrong or right. But I, I tend to try as hard as I can to judge a movie based on what happens between the beginning and end of the movie. Sure. That's so there's a lot of there's a lot of laughs. It's it's most hard. of them are from him. <laughs> claiming ideas for the guy like he literally carries an american flag around and says okay i'm going to claim this and like <laughs> sets down an american flag that is in like all fine. these weird places uh, and at one point the guy who uh, led the prosecutions um in iceland he sets the flag down in, in his office and like they post her picture with his hand on the flag and yeah. this prosecutor's hand on the flag and michael Moore just walks away and this poor guy is just <laughs> sitting in a chair holding an american flag and he doesn't know what to do with it it's some good laughs that is some funny stuff it's just and i don't mean to be like a, an asshole about it it's more just like i've, I've kind of stopped being angry about michael moore um I'm much more angry and, and even as a documentarian or anything like that, I stopped being angry about that because I recognized that the types of movies that he makes and that for all intents and purposes, they are considered documentary. It's, it's fine. It doesn't bother me. Um, there are, there are certain, we don't have a lot of 
different categories for move we have this a binary of either something is a documentary or yeah. it's not a documentary and i think that's yeah and uh, i think that's probably is not a, a good way of looking at, at things yeah it's like a like, we, we need a we need a multi-party system when it comes to categorization <laughs> of film um yeah and it's there are there are certain things that he does there are certain ten, tendencies that he has i think as a person that bother me um and rather than make any large statements about it right now, I will say that we'll move on. Okay. Uh, I do need to mention the one thing because Michael Moore has pissed me off in the past. Yeah. And there is less of that here. Okay. There's nothing as galling as him leaving the picture of the uh, kid. Um, at Char- is that at Charlton Heston's house? Yeah. It's been so long since I've seen. Bowling for Columbine is the worst. I haven't seen Capitalism Love Story, but Bowling for Columbine is my least favorite of his movies. Fahrenheit 9-11 is even, in my opinion, even worse. Yeah. See, I think I think of that one because I approach it as a, uh, as approaching it more as a film than anything. My, I think Fahrenheit 9-11 is just a sloppy movie. And so I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I, I, I guess I don't think about it that much. Whereas, Bowling for Columbine upsets me. There's nothing on that level, but there is a part where he's, you remember uh, this was years ago now where there was that mass shooting in Norway, uh, those, those kids at the camp. Yes. Yes. He, he interviews the father of one of the slain children and he does go a little overboard th- there. I think really it did. It, it, that did get under my skin when he's dealing with other people and I'm sure he wasn't against this kid's father, but when it's oh, clear, no, he's on his side, when it's clear he's, but, the person he's talking to one way or another, I'm going to use you to make my point whether I'm on. That's exactly what it is. Whether you're on board with me or not. Yeah. And they are on the same side uh, on, on this issue, but he's sort of, I I don't want to get into it. That's the one part. It's almost like through his questions, like any, in any other element of the film, he has control because he can edit, he can do all kinds of things, but it's like, shit, I have to deal with a person (laughs) and I can't edit them strictly speaking. So maybe, just through force of will, I'll yeah. be able to get them to say what I want them to say. Yeah. Um, but still, uh, overall, I, I quite liked it. Okay. Um, it was definitely a fun Friday night at the movies. I saw it at the AMC Burbank 16, which I haven't been to. And <laughs> last thing I saw it was Pacific Rim. That's how long it's been, oh, wow. I've been there. I go there uh, relatively frequently. And then we went to, we had a real like downtown Burbank type of night. Where that was our date night. We went to see a movie at the AMC. Yeah. And we went for uh, apps and drinks at the California Pizza Kitchen. Oh, and You wow. know what? Man, if you're not getting pizza or salad at CPK, don't bother. Their apps suck. They're what? Appetizers. Oh, okay. You never been to a restaurant before? <laughs> I've never heard it referred to as apps, honestly. Never in my life. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, that's what they are. Did you see that uh, across from... Listeners, uh, feel free to tune out if you want for a moment. <laughs> um, did you see uh, that um, across from the AMC Burbank 16, there's a steak and shake? But it's not a real steak and shake. Is it not a, an official steak and shake? So, hold on a second. Uh, I have to... Oh, okay. Van for a second. Okay, so what I was asking David a moment ago is about steak and shake when i lived in Sorry. missouri there's yeah. this chain called steak and shake and so i thought oh i maybe it's that but it did look a okay. little bit different here's what we're going to talk we're going to okay. talk about steak and shake. first off i almost made the mistake that i've made before of <laughs> i plugged the power cord into the computer but i forget to plug it into the wall indeed yes so i uh that's fixed we will not lose power okay steak and shake yes i love steak and shake mm-hmm. being from uh the st louis area they were all over the place yeah. it was also a major high school hangout for oh, all of my no peer group because it was a place that was open all night that you didn't have to you know you could be a minor and go yeah. hang out in um and also this is my teenage years unlike people who grew up in california my teenage years were pre-smoking ban mm-hmm. so it was a place to, for teenagers you know, I guess you had to be theoretically you had to be eighteen, yeah. but I don't think they were carding. But they didn't give a shit. Steak and shake. Seriously, you could just go like get coffee, cheese, fries, water, and just sit there and smoke cigarettes and talk. Yeah, and everyone would be at different tables, and you could sort of table hop and like it was a, such a huge scene. Steak mm-hmm. and shake, and the food's delicious. I love steak and shake. So what's happened here? Because you're seeing steak and shakes pop up. Yes. Okay. Uh, these like kiosk type of because that's not a full steak and shake. Yeah, it used to be a Johnny Rockets. Okay. Um, so what, what, what's happened um, is that this guy who owns the country co- company now is named something Biglari. And okay. if you look, if you look at the sign for that steak and shake in, in Burbank, okay. it'll say steak and shake in big letters. And then there's in the sign there's like a little squiggle, like a 
signature. Okay. So that's a steak and shake by Big Laurie, which is like, it's not a full steak and shake and they're showing up. There's one of the third street promenade as well. Okay. Um, and so they're limited menu and, um, they're still owned by steak and shake, but it's, you can't, it's not a full steak and shake. They okay. don't have everything, but it's not a knockoff either. It is still related to yes, steak it's and still shake. the same company, okay. but that is like, it's essentially like Chili's and Chili's too. Like okay, got steak it. and shake by big is essentially like the airport steak and shake. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, if you want for more on this, listen to the excellent podcast Doughboys, where they've <laughs> reviewed steak and shake twice at this point. Do you know if, if, uh, these, uh, steak and shake juniors are 24 hours? I don't know if they are actually. I bet that's they're. A, I bet they're not. Yeah, that's a good. What that's a, a good. That's the whole point of steak and shake, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, apparently there is only one full steak and shake in the state of California, and it's in Victorville. Let's go, um, listeners. We'll get back to you. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm going to Vegas this weekend, but I'm flying. So mm. I, if I drive to Vegas, I drive to Victorville, and that's. I've I've decided next time I drive to Vegas, I'm going to stop, and. Go to Steak and Shake. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, but you got to make sure you're driving through at 3 a.m. so that you can get the Steak and Shake experience, <laughs> right, right, which right. is being there at, when everybody else in the world is asleep except for the, the freaks. Okay. We've gone way too long. Yeah. On, we only talked about one movie. But this one, next one won't take me very long. Uh, so I watched another, another documentary, uh, assuming you can call the last one a documentary. Sure. Uh, this is a documentary from 1971. It's called The American Dreamer. It's a documentary about Dennis Hopper made oh, in cool. 1971. Um, and what I learned is that the last person in the world I would want to be friends with is Dennis fucking Hopper sure. in 1971. Like I know the guy's a legend and uh, I think he's a, a fine actor, but man, at this time he was such a pretentious, like post hippie windbag like the kind of, and also you mean kind of two like, years after easy rider, <laughs> the guy who made that would yeah. be pretentious. And yeah. And also he's the kind of, it's the kind of like, uh, that like seventies, like sexual revolution, like free love thing. Like the more and more we get some perspective on it, it's like, Oh, these are just guys being gross sex creeps most of the time. Yeah. And this is about 80 and, minutes of Dennis Hopper being a gross sex creep. Okay. Uh, it, where there's like, he just has women around him all the time and he's like suppose he's like giving lip service to being like one with them and exploring his feminine side but he's just like holding court and like it, it, you know uh, presumably fucking these women and that's oh. i mean there's uh, he does i mean he does the movie's not yeah ex- that explicit but yes he's having sex with them as well and he talks about how he really <laughs> there's a part I couldn't make up if I tried. Okay. But how he really cares about a woman's pleasure when he's making love or what have you. And because of that, he sort of thinks of himself as more of a lesbian. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you want, if you hold Dennis Hopper in some sort of like high regard as a legend, steer clear of the American dreamer. It, it will you know what? Watch that and then go watch fishing with John and you'll see how far he can, <laughs> yeah. how far he can yeah, come. That's true. Boy, oh boy. That's, that's rough. <laughs> that lesbian thing doesn't make a lot of sense. No. That's basically saying that because I care about a woman's pleasure, I must myself be like a woman. Yeah. It's like, like it's so hey, asshole. That he could be yeah. a straight man and actually care about whether a woman yeah. has an orgasm or not. <laughs> All right. Um, what's, uh, what, what's your movie? My one movie. And I'm sorry, everybody that it was just the one. Um, it's been a very busy, uh, week at work and I tend not to like watching movies while I am working. I usually will have TV on, which is why there's a lot more TV this time for me. Uh, I saw, Pretty much right after we recorded last week, I went to go see Deadpool. Okay. Which I was iffy about. It actually wasn't a thing I was I was uh, anticipating that much. I was curious, but, you know, as we see by the insane box office that it did, yeah. uh, a lot of people were interested in it, and I was curious. Part but- of that is not just curiosity, though. Like, part of that is... Deadpool is a massively popular character. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But because he's a popular character, not in TV and movies so far, yeah. I think people don't don't realize how popular a character he is. But when you and I go to Comic Con every year, oh, he's huge. There might as well have been a Deadpool movie that came out every year. There's so much Deadpool cosplay yeah. at Comic Con. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't mean to imply that it's that it's hype or that people are simply responding to the uh, to the marketing or anything like that. Um, 
for me, it was probably the exact opposite. The marketing was just so, I was so inundated by the, it kind of drove me away and the type of marketing that it was where it was just really trying to sell how edgy it was and how adult it was and how it's not for kids and that kind of thing. I think that did a great job. I think that's a oh, no great question. job of getting people in. And it's, it, it absolutely did. But for me, I was just like, you're, you're, you're overselling, but you know what? It delivered on that. And it wound up being a movie that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, uh, it was, everybody is 100% right. Ryan Reynolds is the best possible person to have ever been considered to play Deadpool there. <laughs> you cannot think of anybody better. Um, there are jokes that are fine on paper that become laugh out loud, funny based on his delivery. Huh. Um, there is also something that I didn't think uh, that I didn't consider that I probably should have, which is, while we do see a lot of Deadpool without his mask, uh, and we see him in flashbacks and stuff like that, we also see him in the costume a lot, which means the performance needs to, on top of being uh, very verbal, it needs to be very physical. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Reynolds does a great job with that. And that was something I... There, there are... Sometimes just the way he moves makes me chuckle. It's, a re, it's really interesting. And so... Um, so yeah, it, uh, it, I would say it's a movie that I, that I recommend for the most part. Um, I got in some trouble in a Facebook group that I have since left saying <laughs> that, uh, and I wound up getting in an argument with people who by coincidence live in Southern Missouri. And it's like, Hey, it's like, I'm, it's like I'm 17 again. <laughs> um, it's just, is, I don't no, I had to, well, first off, I had to tell you, I'm too, I'm too cool, I think, to know what a Facebook group is. Sure. <laughs> so what, what, what are you doing here? Uh, is it like a message board? Oh, it might, maybe like, not group, but like a fan page or is whatever. Is it like a subreddit? Sure. I don't know. I don't know what Reddit is. <laughs> um, between the two of us, we, we, we have a general idea of what pop culture is. Um, no, it's, well, for, you know, we have a fan page, uh, Battleship Pretension. I'm sure we do. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so I, I'm, and then more than one lesson does, and there are other podcasts and other websites that are, that are like more than one lesson. And I have a pretty good relationship with a lot of them. There's one called real world theology. There's one called popcorn theology and it's the popcorn theology one that is the most popular of the bunch. And as we know, the more popular, popular you get, the more people that are, one could say casual fans oh, right, will right. come along. You know, so with popcorn theology, you have your core that is very similar to me and more than one lesson and, and the Christian movie fan, uh, fans that I know. And then you get a little bit further out and it's like, okay, pr- pretty much still people that like movies and, and can champion them and can understand that maybe not every movie is for every person, that sort of thing. Then you start getting more layers out and suddenly it's people just, you know, now I'm having an argument with a... Uh, yeah, uh, middle-aged Midwestern woman. And it's just like, I already had this argument when I was younger and I'm not in the mood. And so I went back and forth and then I was just like, and then somebody was talking about, then somebody else chimed in and talked about how, uh, Tyler, why do you do this to yourself? Yeah. So I, uh, um, because here's why I did it because I, I was having a fun conversation with the other people at popcorn theology, oh, I the see. people yeah, yeah. who were actually wanting to have this conversation about the film itself. And then these other assholes come in and now we're all, it, it's, just a big, it's just a big yeah. clusterfuck. And so, which they probably wouldn't like me saying admittedly, but, um, they can go clusterfuck themselves. Absolutely. All night long. Um, <laughs> Which reminds me, you know what, I'll, rather than go into the whole sorted thing, okay. um, I will say that I will use that opportunity to say what, uh, a fun T.J. Miller joke back from when he was uh, just did a lot of stand-up. It's not a joke from the motion picture Deadpool. Not from the motion picture Deadpool, though he is also very funny in it. Okay. Like that scene where he's like, your face looks like this, right, you right. know. But then he goes on, and he doesn't, he doesn't, he goes on, but he doesn't say it looks like this. He just goes on talking about it and he just says, it's the stuff of nightmares <laughs> and I, and he sells it really well. But, uh, but your use of clusterfuck and the fact that TJ Miller was in Deadpool <laughs> leads me to just repeat this joke where he says, uh, cause he'll do like 30 second characters, you know, I, think I know that 
he, he would do this bit where for five minutes he would give, he goes, here's the character of this. And then it would be like a two sentence character. And he says, here's the character who does not understand what the word clusterfuck is. <laughs> and then it's like, it's like, it's like, Hey, yeah, sorry, man. I can't find this. Uh, I can't find that paper on my desk. Like I got, I spilled my drink here and that, you know, this, there was a stack of papers, but got scattered everywhere. Oh, it's just an absolute mess. Hey, you see that girl over there? I totally cluster fucked her. <laughs> man, TJ Miller was, yeah. uh, man, he was hilarious. That's a funny joke. Are, are we moving on or? Yeah, it's, okay. it's a movie I'd say I recommend for the All most right. part. Moving on to another uh, older movie. I watched a 1948 noir called Hollow Triumph. Okay. Starring uh, Paul Henreid and oh. um, Joan Bennett. Okay. Uh, where... Um, he plays a dude who rips off a very powerful New York mobster, goes uh, on the lam hiding out in Los Angeles, other side of the country. Um, but the, this guy's not going to stop looking for him. And so uh, Paul Henry finds out, oh, there's a therapist. And Paul Henry had studied. He was a, he's a, col- he's a criminal. He's a college boy. He had mm-hmm. studied psychoanalysis in college. And he's like, oh, there's a therapist that looks a lot like me. And so he essentially plots to murder this guy and take over his life. All right. <laughs> that's the that's the basic uh, basic story. Who directed it? <clears throat> I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay, um, so it's not one of the one of the standard guys uh, like, a, like a Fritz Lang or uh, no, um, it's not. But um, it's it's quite good. Um, it it it, it uh, moves forward at a really nice uh, a really nice clip. You sort of. Um, get that thing that I think the, the best noirs are good at where as things go on, you, you, you keep wanting this guy to succeed and get away with what he's doing. And Mm -hmm. then have to remind yourself like, Oh wait, this is not, (laughs) I should not want this. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's out from, um, is it the film detective? I think is the um, the the company that because okay. uh, it's in the public domain, but they put out a nice uh, Blu-ray of nice. it. Um, that's that's what I watched. Uh, and yeah, I don't need to talk about it too long, but it's um, I really enjoyed it. Would really uh, recommend it. It also um, look, fans of Los Angeles and Los Angeles plays itself uh, will will be happy to point out it has a scene that takes place on the Angels' flight. Oh, downtown. Nice. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Hollow Triumph. David, you have said something that has uh, set my mind ablaze. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> so the way you described the character and that you want him to get away with this thing. Right. But then you, re- you have to remind yourself, oh, right, no, this is a very bad thing. Success for this person is a bad thing. Right. Uh, in, the, in the larger sense. And it got me thinking... Not that I can, not that this movie is a film noir, but wouldn't it be interesting, even with the title, to reimagine The Big Short as a film noir? Oh yeah, yeah. Like the title even sounds like right. uh, like noir in the right font, definitely. Yeah. And work. all these guys are in suits, and they're just trying to, you know, nobody's getting physically injured or or hurt or anything like that. But it's just people working the system it's it is a deeply cynical story mm-hmm. i don't know it's uh, that that'd be neat yeah i don't know if any i don't think anybody would ever do it but uh it's uh i don't know i like to think you could do one of those trailers sure right turn it into black and white and cut it together to make it look absolutely large. why don't you do that i don't have to i, I watched one movie in a week <laughs> and it was deadpool i don't have time to do anything david all right man I got something going on. You okay? There we go. Oh boy. Right into the mic there. No, that was not right. I I turned and I, okay. I don't know. Listeners. Was that right in the mic? They're probably going to say yes. Last movie I watched and maybe the last movie I'll ever watch. Oh boy. Cause it's, (laughs) Oh right. uh, It's, it's sort of like if this exists, what are we even doing with cinema anymore? Like has cinema (laughs) reached the end of the road where now we are doing, slavishly like faithful remakes of cabin fever. When I read this thing, I'm sorry. I know that you're the one that saw it. Wait, when you read, what, when I read a review of this oh, thing, okay. not, not yours, not my not yours. Oh. but when I saw that it had come out and I saw, Oh, cabin fever is like, Oh, maybe it's a sequel. Maybe it's just a, you know, it's a pretty common phrase. Maybe it's something else. Then when I read what it is, you know, there was, 
almost 40 years between psychos. Uh, <laughs> this thing, it's what, 15 years, which admittedly is longer than Four, I, 14 years, 14 years, which is longer than I thought, admittedly. Um, like if you would ask me, Hey, when a cabin fever came, come out instinctively, I probably would have been like, I don't know what, six years ago. Now I know that's not true, but well, it, I, I just know it came out while we lived in Chicago. Okay. That's so I, yeah, I, I can and, definitely peg things to where I lived. <laughs> and of all the movies. Now you like cabin fever more than I do, Yeah, but I don't love it, but yeah. does it, does it, if someone was going to reimagine it, which this isn't right. It's not like, no, it's the it's, same script. It's the same script. It does cut. It does change a few things. And thankfully you've seen Kevin. Fever. Yeah. It thankfully removes that dumb racist joke that gets called back at the very end. Thank God. Thank God. And that's like the one thing it has going for it is that it gets rid of what is, uh, unequivocally the worst part of the first Kevin fever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was, I, I forgotten what your question was. <laughs> Just that like, of all the movies you could do this with, of all the horror movies you could do this with, where it's just, okay, we're going to try and do shot for shot. We're going to go with the same script, but we're just going to update it for a new audience. You go with a movie that is relatively recent yeah. and one that is so completely inessential. Because yeah, even if you like Cabin Fever, come on, like, who cares yeah, it's about it? a minor hit. I looked yeah. it up. It was the... 34th highest grossing R-rated movie of 2003. <laughs> <laughs> wow. that's, that's almost as many qualifiers as me winning best actor in the state of Missouri. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know why my, my coworker joked was like, was this like the fantastic four thing where they needed to do this to hold onto the rights? It does. Yeah. It's, um, but, uh, it's so beyond once you get over the, why does this exist? Uh, part of it 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 isn't even good on those terms yeah it's not good as a as a remake because it has less charismatic actors which the first mm. one didn't even have a solid cast it had a couple of standouts yeah yeah like Ryder strong and uh the blonde dude yeah i like um, whose name we haven't taken the time to remember but i remember yeah. thinking he was pretty good uh yeah it, it, it has a few standouts but this is a, a complete whiff of a cast um it um also it drops the ball on two of the main ingredients that cabin fever works for me. Okay. One cabin fever is by a certain standard, the original I'm talking about mm-hmm. a funny movie, or at least it is going for the comedy in a lot of places. Yes. It's, this is the thing I was thinking about while I was watching it because I didn't care to, <laughs> I was, I was willing to let my mind wander a little bit like yeah. watching this, this movie. Um, but I was thinking about the first movie being a dark comedy and how, I think there are certain connotations when we talk about dark comedy, we think of a dark comedy as being something, I don't know if you hold this connotation being something sharp and probably there's an implication that it's kind of smart. If a movie's a dark comedy, it doesn't always deliver on that, but that is usually yeah. what I assume. Kevin fever, the original is a dark comedy, but a really dumb one. <laughs> like right. it is going for dumb jokes, yes. but they are dark. Um, and some of them aren't even jokes. They're just like, let's have, when this guy has, when this guy vomits blood, let's have him vomit blood a lot to the point that it's funny. Yeah. Like it does that sort of thing. That's stupid, but I appreciate that it's going for the joke. The other main thing that I appreciate more now, having watched, um, the, this remake is the score for the original cabin fever is really good. Interesting. It's, uh, co it's, it's Nathan Barr and Angelo Badalamenti. Oh, okay. Um, this new score sucks it is so it feels like a scratch track that they left in it's so on the nose and uh bombastic and uh it's and almost it it seems to belong to a different movie because this is such a shaggy dog of a movie to have this polished professional but soulless score on it is a real just waste of uh of potential so i want to make sure that I that I got this right because I'm a little bit confused. When you talk about the comedy, you're talking about the first. Yes, the first one. And this new one scrubs any comedy out of it, or it just it makes it dumb. It. it leaves the comedy that like the the jokes that are in the dialogue, right? Except for that racist one, thank God, um, are still there. But even then, he's not like the 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 director. Um, 
whose name is Travis Zarivni, I think, but okay. he's credited as Travis Z. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's like the that's the, that's the name of the most obnoxious real world cast member. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, he's not. He doesn't. It seems like the jokes that are in the script are left in begrudgingly almost like he's like well i agreed to make the same script so we have to have him say that say these funny things but i'm going to try and make it as unfunny as possible so let me get this okay they took a, a largely unimportant horror movie from I, less like than I, 15 like years i ago. like it more than you do. right but in the in the grand i guess it's in in recent horror it 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 introduced people to Eli Roth. So there's that. Um, and then yeah, he'd go on go to go either way. Yeah. Yeah. But he went on to make hostile, which people would say is one way or another, maybe not essential, but important as far as horror movies of the last 10, 15 years. Sure. It, I mean, um, it represents a strain of movie that yeah. was largely inspired by hostile that became very popular yeah. at that time. Um, I'm also a hostile fan. I don't know. I've I don't know how long it. people have listened. I know, Longtime listeners know that I'm a fan of Hostel. Yeah. I don't think it's come up on the show in years. It's been I, a long time. I do like that movie. Um, so, but it's it, on the long list of horror movies that are important. Cabin Fever is low on that list. <laughs> um, you know, of the last 15 years, even with uh, of movies with Cabin in the title, it's second <laughs> or third. <laughs> but um, they're also. In, in addition to this remake, there are already there are two sequels to Kevin right, Fever. Right. There's Kevin Fever Two, which is directed by Ty West. That I didn't know. Um, and then there's um, one called Kevin Fever Patient Zero, That's, which yeah, is right. only two years old. It <laughs> only came out two years ago. Anyway, so and that one must. It, it was like Spider Man Three. They're like, oh, this one is not very good. We better reboot this thing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, so the. But yeah, so this movie that is not really that important, but was notable for being a dark comedy, having somewhat likable and memorable actors and having a notable score. They decided, let's bland it up, uh-huh. make it really make it more serious and have a completely uh, forgettable score, making it even less essential yeah. than the first one. Yes, that this whole thing is just a, I feel like I need to see it now (laughs) because it's a mystery to me now. Yeah. Do you think now I didn't like the first one? Do you think I'll like this one more or less? There's no way way that you could like this one more. Okay. I mean, it's got that, it it removed that joke. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's the one thing. Then yeah, it it is, it is better for that one thing. It had, okay. They at least learned not to have that dumb joke in there. All right. Um, that's it for movies. Let's let's blow through TV. You've got a, a, a handful. You've got three? Or, I have three. Uh, but one of them is the same as mine. Yes. So you do your two, and then we'll end on... Okay. Yeah. So Survivor has started, and listeners, Jen and I have uh, started up Worth Playing For once again. We were kind of on the fence if we wanted to do it, but we decided that we were going to, and I'm happy that we did, because this is going to be a very interesting season. And David, I want to... Because you're not going to watch it, obviously. I barely watch TV anymore. Yeah. So I'm going to explain to you one of the most horrifying developments in Survivor history. Oh, no. One of the worst things ever in Survivor. You're welcome in advance. Okay. So people get, you know, it's one of the big things is like animals and insects and stuff like that. People have like spiders crawl on them or, or, um, you Mm -hmm. know, rats crawl over them while they're sleeping and stuff like that. Well, this one girl is talking about how a bug had climbed into her ear uh-huh. and it's like, okay, whatever. I'll just, I'll just wait for it to crawl out. Cause I can't quite get at it. Well, it didn't crawl out. It just went further in, further in it's into her eardrum. Uh-huh. She is writhing in pain. Blood is coming out of her ear and she says she can hear it, uh, digging into her ear. What do they do about that? There's medics, right? Yeah. It seems like they should have jumped in and maybe they did, but they cut that out and they just leave it, you know, uh, and we never see what the, sorry, we don't see what the bug is initially. And then at one point, and it's, it's horrible to watch because she'll be talking about, she'll go like 30 seconds feeling okay. And then you'll see her just jerk and scream. And then at one point she's like just laying in the shelter and just trying to relax. 
and the ear that the bug is not is in is exposed and the other one is is on a on a sheet or a pillow or something like that and and the other people are around and they're trying to comfort her and then they're like whoa hey oh and then you see it's tiny this thing oh sure this tiny little like worm like creature just starts crawling out of her ear and the cameraman got in real close and you can see this thing crawling out of her ear and jen and i had the first we had the same thought which is that looks more like a larva than anything else (laughs) did something plant like are there going to be like 15 more of these crawling out in a moment apparently not that was the only thing and she was she was chipper. The minute it came out, she was chipper. She was fine. Everything. And she, she performed very well in the challenge after that. But for about three minutes, it was one of the, it was maybe for me, aside from when Rob Sesternino talked about, uh, tarantulas dropping on them while they were sleeping uh-huh. from the roof of their shelter. But at least then the tarantulas weren't inside them. Yeah. They can't fit in your ear. Yeah. Those are big. Yeah. They're, which is also terrifying, but yeah. it's, David, I mean, it, it, can you imagine? I w- I'm trying to think. I'm trying to imagine watching this on TV. I would not have been sitting down. I think I would have been standing up and pacing while this is <sighs> happening. I was sweating. Yeah. I was just like, this is, someone needs to stop this. Like, can't a producer say like, hey, everybody, we're stopping the show for maybe the whole season because yeah. this is unacceptable. Yeah. Uh, I think we have to light this woman on fire. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the situation is. It does seem like, if nothing else, they probably could have flushed her, her ear with alcohol or yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Why? I don't know. All right. So that was, survi- <sighs> there's a lot of other great, a lot of other good things gonna, that are going to happen oh, this more season. More good stuff? More than just that one good thing. This this season, well, it's, it's interesting. At least this season is being touted as like the hardest one in Survivor history when it comes to, to watch the, to the elements. Oh. Well, and <laughs> there will be like more medevacs this season than any other. Oh, and that. so they touted that in, initially, and I was like, "Is this going to be one of them?" And no. So it so gets worse. It apparently gets worse. <laughs> yeah, you're not making the case for me watching Survivor. <laughs> uh, what is next? Next, okay. So here's what I've been watching a lot of while I've been working. I have, uh, blown through a couple of seasons, a couple of seasons worth of episodes, not, not all in a row okay. and not starting from the beginning. Cause I've seen them all anyway. Um, I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld. I weirdly knew you were going to say Seinfeld. Okay. Based on that description. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, now obviously I've seen every episode of Seinfeld many times, yeah. many of which you and I watched together when we lived in Chicago. Um, and everything that I have to say is, is such a, like a, yeah, duh kind uh-huh. of thing. It is absolutely astonishing to me how much that show holds up. Yeah. It's, it does it doesn't seem like, it, it's it has the sensibility of like a of of a modern like one camera show with no laugh track, but it's you mean multi camera? Multi? No, no, no. Like oh, it has it, a sensibility of a, yeah. of a single camera. Yeah, so like no, it is a multi camera. Yeah, no live audience, no laugh track or anything like that. It has that sensibility, but it's shot like just a standard ninety sitcom. But it is not. It is so not. It is astonishing to me. And here's what really came through. Everybody talks about the selfishness of the main four characters, and that does come through. They live in a world of grotesques <laughs> where this is a thing that I talked about with Wayne Fetterman when he was on and we were talking about Curb Your Enthusiasm is that, you know, every character except Larry, almost every character except Larry is basically defined by how they uh, how they oppose him. Uh-huh. Well, all these other characters are that as well. But because Curb Your Enthusiasm is shot in sort of a, a, a verite style the characters have to seem somewhat what what <laughs> in Seinfeld. Not at all. You can have, you know, you gangs called the Van Buren boys and then, <laughs> but and you can have just everything, David putty and just uh, the one that I, I felt like, you know what? I'm going to watch that episode at the car lot at the, at the car dealership. You know, the one where George is just trying to get Twix. Oh, right. I haven't seen that one in a long time. It's marvelous. And that's the one where, I just decided like, Oh, I am in the mood for that one. So I watched it and I was like, I better watch, I'm going to say 50 more episodes uh, <laughs> just to make sure. And that's one where it's just 
everybody around them, everybody just hates each other all the time. Like George encounters this mechanic who eats his Twix and the mechanic just looks at him with just this yeah. dead eyed <laughs> stare and just eats his Twix. It's just so everyone is so malicious towards each other. It's like falling down. <laughs> it's like the movie falling down where it, it I can't get out. And it's, it's hilarious. And that's when I've really, when I came to realize just how important these one episode characters are not like, not merely the soup Nazi and stuff like that, but just like there's a scene where uh, Jerry's uh, grandmother is walking around in like a bad neighborhood looking oh, yeah. for her old bank. She's and, on a fixed income. Yeah. Oh, and Uncle Leo is just so horrifying <laughs> to me. But uh, so she's looking at this at, at the building where her bank used to be. And this guy's like, hey, what are you looking for? And everything <laughs> about it is like this is going to be bad. <laughs> and uh, and she's like she goes, oh, I'm looking for the, the chemical bank. And he's like, he goes, chemical bank. It's not here anymore. It's gone. <laughs> and just like gets really close. And then he's, he goes, he's like, see what you're going to want to do is go two blocks. Yeah. down." So he turns friendly, but only after being so menacing. Cause yeah. that's the world of Seinfeld where even well, when you're helpful, you have to make people know that they're, that you're in charge. Um, do you know who my favorite one, one episode only one scene only Who's essentially that? one line only Seinfeld character is it's from very early on it's the uncle oh yeah yeah did we never we never meet again yeah who's at Jerry's house and he says did I tell you I'm writing my memoirs and he says oh I didn't know it it's based on all my experiences <laughs> okay so like the, the the directors of each episode, everyone just had to lock into the tone of this show. So like even people with one line, mm-hmm. just, just affirm what we know about this universe. <laughs> like in that, I'm, I'm reminded again of the, of, of that episode uh, with, at the dealership where, so, you know, as we all know, George knows his candy bars and Twix is the only candy bar with the cookie crunch. <laughs> um, and at one point, but he's talking with, uh, with various employees and, uh, <clears throat> and so he's talking with like the manager and then like the assistant manager and they're like, they're like, Oh, I don't like coconut. He's like, it doesn't have coconut. And then one person. And then, so the manager says, I'm allergic to coconut. And then the assistant manager goes, I'm not <laughs> says, like somebody accused. God, it. was, it's I, so great. It, I well, can't, I can't wait to go back to it. I might not watch another movie in the next two weeks. <laughs> um, let's move on. Okay. But I want to say before we get into the last show, speaking of candy bars, now I need to talk to our Australian listeners. Okay. I know that you know we love Tim Tams. Yes. And we love when you send us Tim Tams. It's kind of been a while. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. We do love when you send us Tim Tams. I've discovered a new Australian treat. Well, the upside of this one is that if someone sends it to us, I get to keep it all because there's no way you like this. Oh, okay. But I've discovered a new Australian. So my um, coworker, uh, uh, the uh, woman who works at the desk right next to mine, got a package in the mail the other day. And she was like, oh, it's from my Australian friend. She had won a bet. Mm-hmm. And she was like, uh, and she had to send me this. So she rips open this package and dumps out like 50 identical red packaged candy bars. And she lets me try one. I have a new obsession. Okay. Australian listeners might already know what I'm talking about when I said red, red package. They're called cherry ripe. Okay. Listen to this. Again, you won't like it. Okay, I'll it, just tune out for a while. It's a dark chocolate candy bar. You're okay. kind of already out, I think, I, I, at that point. I don't mind dark chocolate. It's a dark chocolate candy bar with a coconut cherry filling. Uh, well, yeah, I'm out. Oh, my God. I, I wish she gave me one. I wish she'd given me half of them, and I still would have felt a little jealous that she had the other <laughs> half. They're so good. So, um, I, like, I don't want to drop hints. P.O. Box is on the website under contact us. You know. If you ha- if you have some extra cherry ripes laying around, and maybe throwing some Tim Tam for yeah. old for old Tyler, yeah, have, yeah. O- old Tim Tam Tyler. <laughs> That's what they called me yeah. down there. <laughs> All right, um, so I love cherry ripes, and our last show we both watched is The Amazing Race. You're finally back on board with yes. watching it as it airs. Yes, um, I 
uh, went into this episode very skeptical based on the uh, cast list and surprised myself maybe because of my low expectations. I had a blast. This is a really fun first episode. There are a lot of, as tends to happen, there are a lot of teams that I like. There are, and then the teams that I don't like, I really don't like. But, so I will... I See, will, I don't think there's anyone I really dislike so far. Oh, boy. The bottom two teams. Uh, maybe the bottom three. Uh, I don't think I really liked any of them. Um, the father-daughter team? Yeah, no. Oh, they're so cute. The father is so incompetent, and I and Jen, Jen kind of rubbed off on me in this way. She's just like, ah, oh, she keeps calling him daddy. And I was like, yeah, I don't care for that. Um, it, that's, yeah, but, yeah, okay. That's, he, that's was not inco- he was incompetent at one task. Um, in a way that was kind of funny. Um, I guess I just felt, I, I felt bad for him. I wasn't mad at him. I just felt so bad for him. And it's just one of those, when you, when you realize that it's not possible for them to win uh or even do well, you kind of just want to be like, just, just go, just, (laughs) just get out of here. Um, you're taking the place of a good team. I am. I mean, I guaranteed there are teams that I will grow to hate. Yes. But I, it, it hasn't occurred to me which ones they'll be yet, which is a sign of a good episode that I, there's no teams I hated. That guy, Cole? Yeah. He's screaming if he's happy and screaming if he's sad. Okay. That, and then, you know what? That might get on, get on my nerves as the episode goes on. I kind of feel like you're being an old fuddy-duddy here. I think you're being a little grumpy about the, uh, the younger generation. <laughs> No, this is what's made him famous. Screaming about things is how you get famous on YouTube. We should probably have tr- given it a shot. I'm working on it. Uh, <laughs> but bah, right? <laughs> no, it's it, and that's the thing is, is my big concern going in was these are YouTube people who got famous. Who, some of them are vine people. Right, who, right. Um, who, I don't know. Snapchat. Sure. Some of them are probably on the Pinterest Pinterest, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, uh, your Tinders, uh, what else? Movie phone, <laughs> Meerkat. Some of them are probably Meerkatters. Is that thing? Is that uh, a real thing? I, I think so. I could be wrong. I think Meerkat. So. Okay, ah, oh, jeez. Hello. Uh, well, yeah. Hello. Oh, yeah, they're on Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Where you know they just type in all caps because it's just so plain. Um, but no, I think the thing is that like. And speaking of somebody who has three podcasts, look, I get it. We all we all want attention, but uh, but you, like you said, they are fam- a lot of them are famous for having a lot of energy and being very positive and that sort of thing, and that's all well and good. But when that kid was just screaming over literally everything, because um, that is what he's been rewarded for that, <laughs> and Jen beat me to it. She said, "Oh, it's like a." She's like, it's like a theater bus trip. And I, and, and that admittedly, and the minute she said that, I was like, that is perfect. Because when I was, uh, when I acted in theater and I went on a bus trip, I was in the back of the bus with my earbuds in while everybody or headphones at the time, uh, while everybody else was, uh, singing show tunes. Okay. Uh, I think we're done with, I would say last thing I'll say about amazing race. As far as YouTube stars go, I will take any single person on this cast over Joey Graceffa, who's been on twice sure. and is the most obnoxious person in the history of The Amazing Race. Although I liked his partner. I liked her. Yeah, but I mean, she was so overshadowed. Like, yeah. Last thing I'll say, and then we got to end the episode, but I, 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 I talked about this a little bit on Twitter. You mentioned being part of the drama club. Yeah. I think, imagine you're in this bus trip now, right? All right. So these kids, these theater geeks... These, why are you speaking? So we were both these, them. No, but these, I mean, these kids bless their hearts. They're my, they're my kind of people. Sure. But they are weirdos and losers down to the last drum. <laughs> Can you imagine now, instead of just singing show tunes, they're rapping, they're rapping Hamilton. Ugh. I might've jumped out the back of the bus. I might've had a very different career path. You and I might never have met. If Hamilton was out when I was in the, 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 the high school drama club, I couldn't have handled it theater like theater kids yeah. rapping i mean hamilton it's uh, like i haven't listened to the whole soundtrack i'm never going to see the thing because it costs a billion dollars yes to, it does to see um i don't get it yet but like i said i haven't exposed myself all the way to it so maybe there's something that i'm that, that, that will rub off on me somebody but, somebody 
so Jen and I have uh, some friends, Reed and Josh, who are big in the Broadway scene. Oh, I thought you had one friend named Josh who was a big fan of Reedin. <laughs> oh, Reed and Josh. <laughs> That's what we call him. <laughs> <laughs> Always with a book in front yeah. of them, that guy. Um, but yeah, uh, and they're big Broadway people. And so uh, they told me about this Hamilton thing several months ago. Uh-huh. Um, and they're like, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's, it's already catching on, but it's going to be really big. And so they played some stuff for me. And I was like, that's neat. And it's, it sounds pretty neat. And I'm okay. not a big rap guy, but at the same time, I can still acknowledge when something is, is a neat idea. Uh, and then it is, blown up since then and yes you're absolutely right i mean show tunes are pretty horrible already right when but some they're, they're made for these weirdos and losers <laughs> i hope everyone knows i'm being like i hope so i yeah. am one of these people no question. i am not i am being tongue-in-cheek yes they're wonderful people um yeah the rabbits <laughs> exactly yeah they're fun when it's just like okay we've got a two-hour rehearsal and most of the time we're all going to be acting like we're other people uh-huh. so <laughs> we're going to be in good shape there but uh yeah that sounds tr- really terrible yeah that sounds really awful if you are a listener who's in high school and is finds him or herself stuck in drama club limbo where you're being tortured by demons, you know, weird loser demons <laughs> rapping. <laughs> Reach out to us. I want so you to know see. we're here for you. Let, let's look at who we've alienated in the last couple of weeks. Uh-huh. Uh, our, oh, uh, well, he, here's another one. Um, you. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Anybody even tangentially associated with advertising is uh-huh. not a big fan of us. Uh-huh. I don't know if you saw that comment. Oh, I did. You didn't see my response. Oh, I did not. Yeah. Oh, what did you say? Uh, I because I couldn't figure hopefully, out. Hopefully, I, you didn't quote Bill Hicks. No, but I couldn't figure out how to post a GIF in on our comment board, so I just okay. put the words "lighten up, Francis." <laughs> oh, <laughs> we, let's just not be openly antagonistic. We're 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 bleeding listeners we, as it is. Are we really? Not really. Are we losing listeners? I don't think so. Okay, we're yeah. just not gaining them, and I feel like uh, we plateaued, like yeah. like Twitter. Yeah. Well. They are actually alienating people. Um, I, 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 I'm still fine with Twitter. Um, but uh, that's all right because Twitter is fine with you. I don't know. We've got we got plenty of listeners. I can. I still like this guy. I just told him to lighten up. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I do have the qu- a question the, in regards if you to you knew the things. <coughs> new listeners knew the things I say to Tyler off mic. We're still friends. <laughs> it's very. <laughs> it's very disheartening. Um, I just called. All the people who are the most precious to me, the, 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 the kids who are the future of uh, America, weirdos and losers, I can make fun of advertisers, uh, advertisers a little bit. It's but all I, good fun. But I do wonder. Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> I do wonder. So I did theater because it was the only way I could act. Like it was the, okay. like there was, I mean, I did, I did like TV video production as well, but that the level of enthusiasm that you would often find in theater students, which is not a thing that I condemn. I like that people are that excited about something, but I tended not to fit into that, um, very well. Cause I was like this my whole life. Uh-huh. Um, and I think you were more into the actual theater thing, but you're still you. Like when we got together to do bus stop, you, as everybody else was hanging out and being fun and goofy and silly, you and I would steal away to go watch the Simpsons by right. ourselves. It, yeah. You know. no, I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if I was into the theater. I guess I was, I think my thing was, if you look at, um, if you, if you look at high school, like it's the breakfast club, which it, it isn't really not where all. you have that, divide of different types yeah um i didn't really fit in with any of those types and then like in my sophomore year i discovered theater people and i was like well i might not be passionate about the same things yeah but these are i'll use the word again much more affectionately here these are weirdos and i like weirdos i feel like a weirdo and uh i uh, i I felt um i felt at home that i felt more myself like i could be myself uh with the drama club than uh in, in 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 other clicks and i found my i find myself wondering and listeners this is an actual question and and i i don't think there's an insult in this but maybe there is and i'm not thinking of it if you either did high school theater or you are currently a part of a high school theater 
are you part of that enthusiasm or are you me and David who this is the closest you find (laughs) to like uh, the opportunity to be yourself. But even then, like I was part of two theater departments because I was, I went to two years uh, to high school, two years in Denver, two years in Missouri. And in both cases, there were people that were very enthusiastic. I was me. And then the enthusiastic people kept trying to like pull me out of my shell and would sometimes make fun of me a little bit for right. not. So even come on, get in on a back rub circle. Tyler. <laughs> I'm having like a flashback now, now that you've said that you are, you have no idea how right you are, except you probably do. Yeah, Of course I do. Um, and it's just one. So even within, let's get in a back rub circle and do tongue twisters. <laughs> Who wants to play freeze? <laughs> um, red leather, yellow leather. That's yeah. that's what I wear. Um, I know so- New York. I need New York. <laughs> I know I need unique New York. I can do a billion of them. I was actually. I'm, I like to sit in solemn silence on a dull, dark dock. Okay. You know. In a pestilential prison with a lifelong lock awaiting the sensation uh, of a, a short, sharp shock. shock. I'm a cheap and chippy chopper on a big black block. Big black block? <laughs> uh, what else? She stood on the balcony, inexplicably mimicking him hiccuping, amicably welcoming him in. That is not one that I had heard of, and good for you. It's a difficult one. Uh, that is a difficult one. <laughs> um, and so, even within this community of, as David says, not me, Losers and freaks and misfits. Uh, I didn't say freaks, but yeah. Losers, okay. Weirdos, misfits. Okay. Weirdos. That's a good one. Uh, even within them, even within uh, that group, yeah. I was outside of them. <laughs> and so I find myself wondering if our listeners who, un- who probably do have a certain, a certain uh, enthusiasm for theater and stuff, if they still find themselves not feeling a hundred percent a part of that. I feel so bad for the people who tuned out when we started talking about amazing race because they missed out. How are they going to know that uh, she sells seashells by the seashore? <laughs> it's true. How are they going to know that Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers? Uh, how, how are they going to know that uh, I slit the sheet, the sheet I slid upon the slitted sheet I sit? Well, they know that from the jerk, thankfully. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so. I think we're done. Yep.